that was when I, I mean, I sort of knew about him a bit before that, but that was when I got a sense of his character. Yeah. And his uncompromising quality and uh, also as a strength in moulding the first few years of the National Theatre, I think, um, which was odd, but also important that it, that a critic had so much involvement yeah. in the laying the... The groundwork. You know, the groundwork of the National yeah. Theatre. It's, re- it's really interesting. I've been thinking a lot about criticism this week because the other... So I've been reading Tynan, which I do quite regularly read Tynan because um, Kenneth Tynan, who was the theatre critic for The Observer and then became Olivier's sort of script chooser and dramaturg, didn't he, at the National yeah. Theatre for its foundation. And he is the sort of, to me, he is the urtext of critics. Right. Because he, he, he marks the point, I think, of when modern criticism is born, when he says, he goes to the first night of Look Back in Anger and says, I could not love anybody who did not love this play. Yeah. And that's a kind of high watermark of the, so the, the white male critic laying down what is a set, the set text, you know, the idea that you, you come in and you decide what people should like. Yeah. And I think that's interesting Partly because it's just, he was a brilliant critic in many, many ways. But he was also an incredibly sort of rude critic <laughs> and, and very and very definitive. He, he had definitive opinions. But as much as anybody, he helps shape modern British theatre because that, that backing for John Osborne and for the angry young men yeah. starts off everything that, you know, starts in the, in the 50s and 60s and leads to where we are today so he's a fascinating figure and he seemed worth talking about this week in this week's episode of as the actress said to the critic with me the critic sarah crompton and with me the actress nancy carroll because he read yeah i just don't think he could exist at some levels now now it's interesting isn't it i think that there is this weird reverence around extreme characters that we have. I'm sure it exists in every culture, but it does seem to exist a lot in Western culture that people are impressed by uncompromising qualities. Yes. <laughs> and negatively and positively. Yeah. It, 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 it fuels gossip. It fuels the news. We're sort of... There's a weird uh, light, you know, for better or worse, around behaviour that most people wouldn't allow of themselves. And that is often nailing their opinions very, very strongly to flagposts or fence posts or whatever the analogy is, you know, which is something that particularly in the British culture we're not very good at doing. We sort of sit waveringly in the middle waiting to work out where the rest of the, the populace are going. Um, but but it is odd, but also unsurprising that somebody who was famous for being so rude and so disparaging and had such power over the success or lack of it thereof, you know, around theatre and the beginning of the National Theatre and everything that was happening at that time and the great swerve away from Edwardian and Victorian tastes towards what we know then happened in the late 50s, modern 60s, modern yeah. British yeah. theatre. That He was so instrumental in all of that. And 
And yet that power came from his lack of compromise, totally, which is sort of yeah. extraordinary, but but not extraordinary because and that's he, how things change. And he was, I mean, the one, the, the quote from his him that I always, I mean, he, because he was obsessed with Olivier, his cruelty towards Vivian Lee, I've always, even when I most admired Tyner, yeah, I knew least about him. And so at some levels, I knew him as a, as a writer and a, as a vivid writer about theatre. He's a brilliant describer of theatre. Yeah. And um, but his cruelty towards Vivian Lee always seemed unacceptable because yes. you felt that it did spring just from kind of loving Olivier so much. But also, I always quote this thing. He wrote this thing about Dame Edith Edifants, and he's got this thing. He's he's writing about her in Antony and Cleopatra, which you know is interesting casting. But he says, bereft of fan, lace, and cedar chair, Dame Edith is nakedly middle aged and plain. And you just think, oh my god! And yeah, you know, we yeah, say yeah. that we're much more cautious now and much more woke and all the rest of it. But I think even at the time, that must have seemed sort of unbelievably cruel. And um, it also doesn't talk about. Anything to do with the story. Yeah. It's a totally personal attack. Uh, but in the sort of, the, the you know, in very rough terms, the tittle-tattle element yeah. Yeah. of some reviews, it's fitting. Yeah. You know, and people, and people wanted go, to read. Oh, how shocking. <laughs> oh, she was plain. You said, and that tells you what? Shall I buy a ticket or not yeah. buy a ticket? Would I enjoy the story or not enjoy the story? Did they do a good interpretation what no she looked plain ah yes yes that yeah. tells me everything it, it it it's part of the the culture of the way people write but if it is it relevant i yeah. i would argue not i don't think i mean i think that has changed i just don't think he would get away with it now and i think he as i say even at the time i think he was he did scandalize people by how direct he was but yes he made his name on the back of that he also made his name on the back of sort of backing new writing and backing talent and why critics go back to read him if, if you know I, I I always did is that you do get a sense of what the play was like so you're right about that because I'm not sure that with Dame Edith that does add that much yeah but it does give you an idea if you're being really fair to Tynan that she isn't a glamorous Cleopatra I mean right. it's cruelly put yeah but it, it's it's relevant in the sense that she is playing Cleopatra Quite often his attacks on Lee and on other actors aren't as relevant as that. But I think what's interesting, so the other thing that's been making, well, two other things have happened this week. Three things have happened. So it's many, been a many. Very, very. Yeah, pick a number, any number. Yes. No. So the other thing that happened was I went to see The Frogs by Spy Monkey. Right. At Kiln. And, um, and what, and that made me think about Aristophanes. Right. And what I'm very weak on Greek theatre, so I did a certain amount of reading because I didn't know very much about it at all. And the Spy Monkey version is kind of a long way from Aristophanes. But what I did realise was that in The Frogs, the whole of the second half in its original format is a debate between Euripides and Aeschylus right. about who is the greater theatrical writer so it's a sort of it's a debate in Hades um presided over by Dionysus and obviously written by um Aristophanes and Euripides represents the modern theatre the sort of he wrote 
Medea and things like that. So psychologically acute at some levels. And Aeschylus, who wrote the Trojans and big sweeping dramas, represents the more historic form of theatre. And what I hadn't realised until I mugged up is that essentially this is the first bit of theatrical criticism in 405 BC. Yeah. Where... It, it's the foundation of a lot of our understanding of Greek drama because the descriptions of the two types of theatre that are involved in that debate become the basis of our study of Greek theatre and, and, and the conventions of Greek theatre. So it's, it's a brilliant bit of theatre criticism in a sense. So it, and, and I thought that was, it hadn't occurred to me. So I always say to people, one of the values of criticism is that you it paints a picture for something that you weren't at. Yeah. But in fact, that was happening, you know, Aristophanes was doing it in um, all that way back. Yeah. And that's what our, our knowledge is based on because that's all you've got is words. You know, there are no pictures, obviously, or very yes. few. Um, and yeah, so I thought that that's kind of interesting too. And also that the thing about the frogs is that all the debates about um, good theatre are still the ones that are going on today so in in the in the frogs Aeschylus wins because he's he represents a better version of the Athenian state right but Euripides of course was you know the modern so the 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 tug between old and new and new ideas and old ideas is going on back then yeah I don't think I'd kind of got to grips with any of that Tynan used to use that didn't he as a as a model as well that he'd have the sort of the, the old grumpy version and the young buck having a conversation yeah. about, about the piece. And he understood that taste was always polarised in front of new pieces of work and that they often showed people up for, for, for their age or demographic in that way and was quite open about using that as a way of, of criticising on behalf of two different generations, yeah. which is a really interesting and, and actually probably in the end makes him one of the things that makes him so brilliant and... And timeless, yeah, or that. a lot of his writing timeless yeah. and classic, apart from when he's criticizing actresses for the way they look. <laughs> um, I, I, and I think, as you say, we we always come full circle in so many walks of life, but particularly in writing and storytelling, because you know, as we've said before, there are sort of six main stories, and and it's probably true there are six main debates. Yeah, you know, in life, everything comes down to two sides of a coin, two sides of an understanding, you know, whether they're political or religious or monetary or educational or whatever it is that we're arguing about, it, it probably comes down to very, very basic ethics or morals. or Yeah, know. and and so so then, factor two in of my thinking this week, so having, <laughs> having been in, with the Greeks, um, I, I, I stayed with the Greeks and went to see Hadestown. Yeah. Uh, the Anais Mitchell musical, which I love very much. And I think it's an absolutely superb piece of theatre. It is exhilarating and thrilling. And it's an amazing production by Rachel Shevkin. And the songs are great. And the performances are great. And everything about it is terrific. Yeah. In my review for What's On Stage, I was attempting to explain why I find that it doesn't entirely give me the kind of emotional release that I want because 
I know that musicals have sad endings, you know, so like Carousel, it's quite hard to feel entirely happy at the end of. And, um, you know, there are lots of musicals with sad endings. And I also know that the myth, the Greek myth of Orpheus and Eurydice ends with him looking back. And because he looks back towards Eurydice, he's not allowed to bring her out of Hades, which is the myth that they use in um, Hades time, they use it absolutely superbly. But the whole, everything in me sitting in the stalls with this amazing music and an onstage band and great singing and Orpheus just kind of, you know, really making the stones come to life because yeah. he sings so beautifully, makes me want him to get her out. I want an alternative ending. Yeah. And you know, I it, so I was trying to explain this, and I know that it has to end with him turning back yeah. and Eurydice's, Eurydice being stuck in Hades. But there's a bit of me that wants that kind of liberation, and what Mitchell does, and really brilliantly, is is start the story again. So she she manages to get an uplifting ending in a sense by saying, this is a story we've always told. This is something we need to understand. And she starts the whole, in a sense, starts the whole show again. And yeah. it literally spins back to the beginning. So it becomes a musical about telling stories to each other, about the, the role of myths in our lives, about how we understand the world through these myths. So it's right. incredibly sophisticated and clever. Yeah. But I just, you know, and I was trying to explain all this. Yeah. And I obviously did it very badly. <laughs> because what happened? I got, well, what very rarely happens, I sort of got this internet pylon where um, online I suddenly, suddenly like hundreds and hundreds of people start saying, didn't she know that it ends sadly? Oh, you can't change Greek myth. And, you know, just everything. It was, it was kind of weird because it doesn't often happen to me. But quite, it is kind of upsetting because yeah. I, I realised, I mean, you know, I take it as a criticism of my writing. I mean, hadn't managed to express what I was feeling quite um, clearly enough. But it also, it's a very odd thing that you feel that you, the internet, so if you say that online, if you say that in the past, people's, the strength of people's opinion has been what's brought them to prominence. Now the danger is, in some ways, that you, you don't express any strong opinion yeah. or any complicated opinion, yes. certainly. Because I was trying to express something that was slightly, I, wasn't, I mean, I don't want to say it was subtle, but it was within the context of loving this show. Yes. But the fans of the show felt, saw it as a criticism and therefore criticised me for you know, being stupid, really, essentially. And it went on and on and on for days. And, yeah, and and, and it, I, it, it, it's like a one-star review. It, it's oddly destabilising. Yes. Think. Well, it, I think it is... That's the, the difference between something being in a broadsheet that goes out, you know, and it's out there, and then you don't necessarily have the contact with people who sit in a greasy spoon reading it the next day with their egg and chips on a Sunday morning or whatever whatever the context is of people reading something and responding to that emotionally, either based on having an opinion about theatre in general or anybody in the show or having seen the show or if they particularly love the show, whatever the response is, without social media, you would never have been party to any of those reactions. Yeah. And that's the nature of it, that ultimately if a, now if 
any piece of writing, any opinion, any anything from a, you know a beautifully written book or a song to just a piece of gossip. Everybody has the right to an opinion, and one and and once it's out there, it's out there. Yeah, and yeah. and so you've you know we have to grow new skins even though what we do requires being emotionally open and and uh, and also being very open about personal opinion because that's that's the nature of the job yeah. i think that it it's really really tough because ultimately it it ought to be like hanging a picture on a wall and then it's out there yeah and then you sort of you have to forego ownership and so ultimately it's about the writing not about you and if you're writing about wanting something to end in a slightly different way as a reflection of the joy that you didn't want to end. Yes, exactly. Thank you. you it, it's getting, you. what you want is for someone to, to stay with you to the end of the thought, which is you were having such a good time, you didn't want it to end. Yeah. If someone only reads her, the first bit of the sentence, yeah. which is you wanted a slightly different ending, that on its own, in isolation, out of context, could be taken to be critical. You have to look at the whole thing. You have mm. to look at the context. You have to understand the writer, but also understand you as a writer, yeah. which is that you're incredibly generous. You love the theatre. You're in the theatre all the time. And you have expressed a great love of that show even before it came into yeah. the West End. And maybe it's a stupid thing to say. I mean, I have uh, I have thought about it, you know. I, I Because it's just, it's just to explain... You know, because I want to leap to my feet at the end of it because it's yeah. been so brilliant. And there's something that makes me not. And that that was what I was attempting. And maybe it is a stupid thing to say, but it is. In, I just think it's interesting that, I, you know, as a critic and as a writer, I feel I have to read it. You know, you have to read the comments people make because otherwise it's it's not entirely fair. You know, yeah. you're saying read my opinion, but not reading other people's. On the other hand, you know, it's, it is, and that is the difference between, I think, an actor and, um, and, a, and, and a journalist, essentially, that I feel as a journalist, I have to engage with the online world. Whereas I think as an actor, you are perfectly entitled to say, no, I won't engage with this, or I won't look at what people are saying, because that will alter how I perceive my job. I yeah. feel that for me, I have to, because it is part of my job. But it is... It's it's it because it's not really a debate. It's not really saying, but what do you mean? It's just basically saying you're silly, and that's the trouble with online. That it's so easy just to kind of to gang up and pile on and say, you know, you're silly without or I don't agree with you without really engaging in a debate. It's very much a sort of polarisation of opinion. Although, and, just to be devil's advocate, yes, no, go on. what you've experienced is what actors go through all the time. Exactly. Because you have created a piece of writing in isolation and you put it out into the world. And then all these people have gone, hang on, hang on. What is it that you think that you're saying? Yeah. What is it that you think you're doing? Why did you think that was a good idea? Well, that doesn't really make sense. Which is exactly what we do all the time. We rehearse in isolation. And we think what we've created is full of magic and wonder and answers questions. And is even when bits don't work, that it, we've done it with enough commitment and and chutzpah and truth that somehow we we will prevail. And then everybody piles in and goes, well, that doesn't work. Yeah. And you're like, but but don't you see? 
don't you see what I was trying to do? No, no, you look rather plain and I don't like that outfit and the lighting <laughs> yes. didn't work. And why did you end that there? And well, mm. I couldn't really understand what they're saying. And acoustically, you know, the, the theatre really needs to look at all that. And you're like, but what about the truth? What about the magic? What about the endeavour? Yeah. What about what I was trying to say? So you've sort of experienced what we do all the, all time. the time. Which is very good for me, probably. Yes. And and, <laughs> and, 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 and it is good for you. I mean, I, I'm not sort of against it. But I, I, it, it, it is always a lesson. And it is always surprising, as yeah. I say, how, how quickly, you know, something can curdle, you know, and how, and, and how it makes you feel a bit, ooh, yeah, and a bit and slightly scaredy cat. And of course, what you have to do is just carry on. You have to stick with the. You have to have the courage of your convictions, just as you have to have the courage of your performance. Yeah, you have to say, well, you know, you know, onwards. So the third thing, right? I'm just going to throw in in my. It's epic. It is an epic, epic Greek week. tragedy. Yeah, yeah my Greek, <laughs> my Greek week is that I also went to see the new production of An Enemy of the People, starring Matt Smith. Yeah. As Stockman, Dr. Stockman, who is um, in charge of health at the local spa and who discovers that the water is poisoned and is making people ill. Right. And the entire you know, it's by Ibsen. The It's a brilliant uh, sort of setup so that the entire town's prosperity rests on this spa and rests on people coming to the take the waters and be healed and he the doctor is saying well actually it's going to poison you it's going to make you ill and that puts him in he thinks everybody will think he's brilliant because he's right. discovered the reason that people are falling ill and um he comes into conflict with his brother who is the mayor and of course his brother and all the sort of people of the town, including the journalists, eventually line up against him because right. they say this town will be ruined. We will all be out of work. You can't reveal this. We just we and it costs too much to put right. And so we'll just have to um, cover it up essentially. Right. And gradually Stockman himself becomes the enemy of the people. He becomes pushed out of the town. So that's Ibsen's setup. This version, by directed by uh, Thomas Ostermeyer, who is a um, brilliant German director, um, makes it very modern. So um, Stockman and his friends are, you know, they sing David Bowie, they want to be in a band, they, they espouse all the good liberal causes. Um, and they their conflict and their... The, the, the pressure on their own liberal principles is brought into very sharp focus. So in the middle of all this, they put the house lights up and they involve the audience. So the audience becomes part of the meeting that Stockman addresses where he attacks the liberal elite. Using Ibsen's words. Well, they're adapted by Duncan Macmillan. Right. And there are bits of the, the words that, you know, he talks about the post office dispute and the NHS and things like that. So obviously Ibsen didn't write those. Right. But the basic attack on the liberal elite and on their ideas is in Ibsen. Right. And I suppose the idea is that they've allowed the billionaires and they've allowed the, this situation to flourish. Yeah. And then he starts, as the debate goes on, and the members of the town come in and the newspaper editor is there, and, and they say, I mean, what they gradually say is, you know, would you take a pay cut yeah. in order to 
um, allow uh, a better world. Yeah. And would you, faced with poisoned water, I mean, which obviously at some levels we all are, yeah. faced with poisoned water or um, your economic well-being, which you're going to choose. So yeah. it's quite challenging. Yeah, yeah. And actually it's also challenging because Stockman becomes increasingly, and Matt Smith is utterly thrilling. And, he, uh, you know, he's such a good actor. So he becomes increasingly extreme in what he's saying. Right. And you, the audience, are on the spot. You're part of this. Very interesting. Do people, res- do people in the audience respond? They do. And I think the night we were there, they were quite measured. But some nights they've been really, really um, kind of very engaged. I mean, they don't allow it to go on too long. It's quite controlled. Right. But reading, again, reading other reviews and different people going on different nights, some nights people have said, well, yes, of course, I would give up my salary to help fund the NHS. And... Um, and people have actually taken him on more where he says, you know, I want to, um, I, I, I would like everybody who doesn't agree with me to be exterminated. I mean, he gets very sort of right. angry. Yeah. And it's fascinating. And it's fascinating because obviously it's in the context of a theatre as a, as a crucible for debate. I mean, it's a very interesting thing. But also I think it has a sense of, knowing that it's pointless there is a sense that you know the the problem is you can't resolve it and the end of the play is a very sophisticated ending which is not quite Ibsen's ending where it's left very poised about which way everybody is going to jump right and it's and I think and I think that's so interesting because again it's about the nature of debate that we can have now how how can we talk to each other yeah, yeah. Can we talk in the theatre? Is the theatre the right place? Or is it just an echo chamber? Are people yeah. just talking to themselves? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? That that's, It has been there in different times throughout history that it has, when, you know, when theatres were part of a community and it was there was no elitist audience, it belonged to everybody, everybody went. And so people were more sort of tenacious and proprietorial about the work that went on and responses to what was going on. And if there were questions to be asked and answers to follow, everyone was party to that. That doesn't exist at the moment. And there is very much a self-protective culture that is in full swing, you know, from the top down. And, you know, we've, we've established that the trickle down effect doesn't work. We've established that the Victorian Victorian chasm between rich and poor can be recreated and, you know, we're heading there at an enormous rate, if not there already. Everybody knows what the problems are, but the the measures that we need to take to right those wrongs are scarily extreme. So we're at a crossroads, really. Yeah, and what, I mean, Ozdemeyer, the the, the programme essay, um, in for an enemy of the people is about living in a post-democratic age. Yeah, and that's really his starting point that we yeah. live in a, a simulacrum of democracy, but actually what we are doing is shouting at each other across a room. Yeah, and that there isn't really a sense for there isn't really a forum for public debate. There isn't really a forum for people actually to make their views heard. Yeah, that that we are just all shouting at each other. Yeah, and. It's. I. I must say. I mean. I. It's one of those evenings in the theatre when I came out. I thought, yeah, that's great. And I. You know, it's a very good production, full of good performances. Yes. And, um, 
excellent kind of resonant um, evening in theatre. And it goes on and on echoing. And I found I've thought about it more and more. And I quite like to go back and... Well, all of those things are really, really important. And I think that anybody who exists in any position of power, whether it's political or creative or literary, whatever, you bang whatever drum you have to hand. And it, and this is a drum being banged. Unfortunately, in order to be party to the music, you have to pay quite a lot yes. of money to be in the theatre, which is part of the problem. Part of the problem, And I, yeah. I think... That doesn't that doesn't in any way take away from what they're trying to do, and I think it's it is fascinating because, on the one hand, you're opening up to the debate, but actually the silence that that must meet some nights when people are too restrained and intimidated to actually stand up and put their head above the precipice and say, "This is really interesting. Thank you for asking me this question, and I do have a response." Yeah. You know, and also, as you say, it's it's within the controlled environment of there is a performance, you know, yeah. schedule to adhere to when people have to get the last train home. Um, but that doesn't in any way take away from its importance and the fact that people continue to use theatre as a way, you know, to, as a political forum and as a way to be heard. Yeah. And to take the words of somebody writing however many years ago. Yeah, 1863, I think. You know, and yeah. yet actually there's so much about his writing that is still relevant and that we haven't moved on from and that humans behave in a cyclical, self-preserving way. All of that is incredibly important. And, you know, unless we tell these stories again and again, we won't have that mirror held up to us which is the point that you and I make again and again so it sounds but it's brilliant. also ironically the point that Hades term makes which is the uh, is the kind of circle that we have to keep telling the stories again and again about the choices yeah. between darkness and light and love and hate and and all of the rest and that is exactly the point of Hades term and it's also of course the point that the um Greek uh drama you know the frogs makes about the choice between the new and the old and aristophanes and euripides and which is all in the context of the security of the athenian state yes so it is you're absolutely right that we have my theatrical week has been yes a greek drama and well, the, i have and the greek <laughs> philosophers <laughs> always say again and again said say you know the, the the art and literature and philosophical thinking is the only true way to hold a mirror up to life yeah you know, there there is no way within maths and science that, you know, without employing all those other artistic elements into the, the model that science uses in any way, shape or form, that we can challenge thinking, you know, because it's because it is emotional and people at the end of the day behave emotionally yeah. and the cyclical emotional behavior of love and war and birth and death it's emotional, and, and those are the things that, that, that push the stories forward, push life, pushes life forward, and they, that's why they're important. And, and I, I don't think opinion should be scary. Yeah. And to be challenged shouldn't should be, be scary, scary, because actually to create reaction to what you've said, that doesn't have to be negative. It's not, it shouldn't have to be a personal attack. And I know it's hard to take. Yeah. It is hard to take because you want it all to be lovely and one wants, not you, but one wants it to be lovely. One wants it to be okay. One wants to belong and be accepted. Those are human needs. But actually to do something that causes debate, that, that makes people question, 
I don't think it's negative. It doesn't no, have that to be isn't negative. negative. That isn't negative. And I, I suppose that is, in a sense, what um, an enemy of the people is doing, that it's trying to say, question, and, and you're so right that, you know, to say it in the context where not enough people can afford to go and see it, Though there are cheap tickets available, and I did, in fact, spend quite a bit of time looking for cheap tickets for some people, and the, you can get in see it, but it's still, you yeah. know, it's not a mass entertainment, even though it has a mass relevance. But it, it, it is the, it is what it asks you to do is how much, how, how to have a proper debate about these things and how to somehow be able to separate to separate out the different elements of what makes a good society. Yeah. Which I think essentially is what Ibsen's always doing. He's really asking you what makes a good society? How can we live together? Yes. And create a, a better environment. And I think that's probably why Ibsen of all those 19th century playwrights gets performed more and more and more yeah. and he never seems to be out of fashion because he is asking that kind of key question yeah which is is absolutely essential and 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 it was it was exhilarating to see it you know put from on agent in the way it is and i hope it does get a kind of slightly wider um i you know will give people a wider chance to see it yeah um, but because the, you know Smith himself is obviously such a kind of charismatic figure to a younger generation, and it, and it, it's a great way to experience that great debate in drama. Yeah, absolutely, and giving permission to a younger generation to say, you know, I please argue, please talk about it, please express worries and look for solutions. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's, there's I always forget his name, but I remember years ago seeing a TED talk by an American billionaire saying we're getting dangerously close to sort of pitchfork revolutionary moment in time and that the only way to close this chasm between rich and poor, uh, you know, between the sort of enfranchised and disenfranchised, the entitled and the, you know, the, the sort of ignored, is to, to, is to tax the rich. Please tax me. Yeah. And I'm not alone. I stand, yeah. I have friends who have been lucky. Please tax us. Yeah. Ask us to, to, you know, to, to, to close that gap. Yeah. And that was probably 10 years ago. If there are people in the right places trying to do the right thing. It just aren't enough. Yeah. And that was actually the brilliant, the, the, one of the brilliant interventions the night we were there was that there was somebody in the balcony who was talking in the circle who was talking and he said, look, I'm a sh um, champagne socialist. I make no um, bones about it, but you can tax me. I will give up my money. He did yeah. actually say that. Yeah, yeah. And so that, you know, that obviously is one of the solutions that people stop worrying about taxing the rich and start to produce a more equal yeah. society in which people can enjoy more. And also the other thing that was... It's kind of scarily pertinent about the night we went to any of people was it was the night that they announced the death of Navalny, yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, and the opposition leader in Russia. And that made you realise just the kind of sense of privilege that you were sitting in a room where people could speak freely and where a debate about opposition to an established view. Yes. Could be opened up. And it, it, it was it was kind of uh, it was one of those nights that I thought that. I, I mean, I often feel this, but, you know, you it is a value that we can all sit there and talk. Yeah. Even if I feel that I got a bit worried when everybody said I was wrong. 
but I didn't. I mean, if, if I know that there's always that initial bruising, but I think if 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 there is a way in which people have strong opinions about theatre and want to challenge you, and there's a way to be comfortable with that, there is the potential moving forward for it not to be scary, but actually exciting. And a proper debate. Yeah, and a proper debate about yeah. theatre, which, you know, and about your opinion of the theatre, which is great. Yeah. But that's a starting point for a conversation. That can't be a bad thing. No. You know, and that and the, the people have strong opinions that they want to challenge you on it. That's really exciting. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't in any way take away from your position, but only makes it more uh, tangible and yeah. and and interesting yeah. and alive. And it is the way that if we learn to talk to each other, we'll probably get to hopefully. If you're trying to be optimistic in um, a, a, an Ibsenite manner, a kind of yeah, a better yeah. place. But yeah. also, we we you know we are privileged that we get to be you know sit here talking about theatre most of which survives because of the philanthropic uh contributions and you know contribution doesn't even come close in some cases but the 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 philanthropic and financial support that most theatres are able to survive because of those there has to be a better way to say that sentence but you know what i mean that basically (laughs) theatres in this country survive because people with a lot of money are able to support them financially And so it's not fair to say that, you know, that lots of people are waiting to be taxed or that should be taxed. There are a lot of people that contribute financially. It just has to, you know, the tip of the iceberg needs to talk to the rest of the iceberg. Yes, I think I understand that. Yeah, I know. I think with that extraordinary analogy, (laughs) (laughs) it's probably the moment to say. Yes, that's a goodbye from me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. And goodbye from me, Sarah Crompton, the critic.